Sam Saraswati Namaha Namaste. On page 27 of the Ganesh Puja, we're going to begin with the Ganesh Gayatri. Om, we meditate upon that perfect consciousness, contemplate the one with a broken tooth. May that one with a great tusk grant us increase. And with these scented flowers, Om, we bow to the Lord of wisdom, Lord of the multitudes. Now, there are many stories about how Ganesh broke his tooth. Uh, and one story says Shani did it. Uh, Shani came to visit Mahadev, and she, uh, Ganesh said, uh, oh, you are really a, a strange person, all dressed in black, and I, do you have an appointment? Is my dad expecting you? And Shani said, well, you think I look strange? You look even stranger. I mean, here you are, you've got a big belly and a head of an elephant. You've got, what are you? Are you a human being? Are you a god? Are you an animal? And suddenly they began to fight and Shani cut Ganesh's tooth. There's another story about Parashuram. And Parashuram, he's the one who always had the axe in his hand. And uh, he, he was the son of Jamadagni and Renka. And uh, he, he went to see uh, Shiv. And a similar fight ensued. And Parashuram was blessed uh, with uh, a, the battle axe of good actions, which would cut through anything. And in the fight between he and Ganesh, then he cut off the tooth. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, the teeth symbolize the wealth of, of uh, uh, the love for all. The elephant stands for ahimsa, love for all, causing harm to no one. And the teeth uh, are, are what really puts the, the bite into the love for all. It's really the intensity of the love. So Ganesh's broken tooth means that he has no passion. He has a passion only for the good. He has no passion for selfishness. Uh, and that's included with the broken tooth. And he's the one with one great tusk. And we're praying to him to grant us increase. And with these scented flowers, oh, we bow to the Lord of the wisdom and Lord of the multitudes. And now let's meditate upon his form. Oh, Ganesh, the Lord of Wisdom, is short of stout body with the face of the king of the elephants and a big belly and is extremely beautiful uh, for those who have the eyes to see. Uh, of course, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder uh, from whom pours forth an ethereal fluid, the sweet fragrance of which has captivated with love the bees who are swarming around his cheeks. So this fluid that comes back down, it's almost like a perspiration. It comes down off his forehead and off his head, and it smells so sweet that bees are swarming around thinking it to be honey, and they're captivated with love so that they can come and drink up the honey and the nectar of his beauty. With the blows of his tusks, he pierces all enemies and he is beautified by red vermilion. And there are many Ganeshas that are just covered with red all over from head to foot. Uh, there are many Ganeshas that have a white body and a big, big tilak. Uh, but he's beautified by red vermilion. We bow with praise to the son of the daughter of the mountains, Parvati. The son of Parvati. Uh, and she is the daughter of the mountains, the daughter of the Himalayas, the Lord of the multitudes, the giver of perfection of all the uh, desires. Om, we bow to Ganesh, the Lord of wisdom, Lord of the multitudes. Now we're going to take Ganesh's bead mantra gum, and we're going to add the Dirgobal, the Dirgoshwabard. And you, that means that we have uh, the, uh, of the vowels, ah, E, U, Eng, Ong, A. And these six vowels are the Shara, Shen, Yang, and Nyas. 
at the six, uh, the nyasa in the hands in the six places in the body. So we've got gum in the thumb, I bow, omgim in the forefinger, I am one with God, omgum in the middle finger, purify, omgang in the ring finger, cut the ego, omgong in the little finger, ultimate purity, omga, karoto karpishya bhyangaskaya, omga, roll your hand over hand, front and back, and with the weapon of virtue. Om Gam Ganeshaya Namaha. Om we bow to Ganesh, the Lord of Wisdom, Lord of the multitudes. And now Sharanganyas is what we call it, this establishment in the six places. It's also called Hridayadinyas. Hriday in your heart and other places, the six places. Om Gam in the heart I bow. Om Ging on the top of the head, I am one with God. Om Gum on the back of the head, purify om gang kabachayakum om gang crossing both arms cut the ego om gong netra in the three eyes ultimate purity and roll hand over hand forwards and backwards and recite with the weapon of virtue Om Gam Om we bow to Ganesh, the Lord of Wisdom, Lord of the multitudes. He has a beautiful face with only one tooth or tusk, a red color with elephant ears, with a big belly and a great tooth. He destroys all obstacles. He is the remover of obstacles. Vinayak. Uh, He's the remover of obstacles. With a gray banner and the living spirit of the multitudes having the moon on his forehead with an elephant's face, whoever will recite or listen to these 12 names at the time of commencing studies, getting married, or upon entering or leaving any place on a battlefield of war or in any difficulty will overcome all obstacles. Wearing a white cloth, the god has the color of the moon and four arms. That most pleasing countenance is meditated upon, who gives peace to all difficulties. For gaining the desired objective or for the attainment of perfection, he is worshipped by the forces of union and the, perforce, or the forces of division alike. He takes away all difficulties and therefore... We bow down in reverence to the Lord of the multitudes. Om Gam Ganapataye Namaha. Om we bow to the Lord of wisdom, Lord of the multitudes. And now we're going to study the Ganesh Atharvashirsham. It's just, uh, it's a Ganesh Upanishad. It's a Ganesh, the highest meeting, the Artha Shirsham. The, the Shirsham, the head or the highest Artha meaning of Gornesh. Um, om Namaste Ganapataye. Om, I bow to Ganapati. Lord of the multitudes, Lord of wisdom. You alone are the perceivable form of that thou art. You alone are the creator. You alone are the supporter. You alone are the dissolver. Hey, didn't we have something like that in the study of Shiva? In fact, in the study of every god and goddess, we're going to find the similar proclamation because there is only one god. And she creates, protects, and transforms the universe. She alone, he alone, you alone, we alone are the creator, supporter, and dissolver of creation. So you can call the one deity by Shiv, by Shakti, by Shiv, by Shiva, by Shakti, by Ganapati, by Ganesh. It's all the one supreme divinity. All our prayers go to God. No matter what you call her. You alone are the entire unity of God. You are the actual eternal soul. I speak truth. I speak truth. Satyam, satyam, nasamshaya. Protect me. Protect my speech. Protect my hearing. Protect my giving. Protect my supporting. Protect my learning. 
protect my disciples, protect me from behind, protect me from the front, protect me from the north, protect me from the south, protect me from above, protect me from below. Hey, protect me in every way that I need perfection and only you know how many places there are in which I need protection, protect me. My prayer, protect me from all around on every side equally and altogether further. <laughs> you are the manifestation of sound, all vibrations, bug. You, the manifestation of consciousness, chinmoya, the manifestation of bliss, tuama, anandamaya. You are the manifestation of the supreme divinity, Tvam Brahmamaya. You are truth, consciousness, and bliss beyond duality, Adityananda, Aditya Asi. You, Asi, you are Aditya. You are the perceivable Brahma, the supreme divinity. You are the manifestation of wisdom and knowledge. All of this perceivable universe is brought forth from you. All of this perceivable universe has its existence in you. All of this perceivable universe will dissolve its existence in you. All of this perceivable universe will return to you. I bow to you as the earth, earth water, fire, and wind. You are the meeting place of the syllables of speech. Wherever any vibration unites with another vibration, it becomes a syllable. You are the meeting place where the slavarna meets with the kanjimbarn, where the consonants and the vowels unite. You are beyond the three qualities. You are beyond the three bodies, the gross body, subtle body, and causal body. You are beyond the three times, past, present, and future. You reside eternally in the Muladhara chakra. You are Kundalini. You are the soul of the three energies, the Abram ring, cling. Yogis continually meditate upon you. You are Brahma, Vishnu, Rudra, Indra, Agni, Vayu, Surya, Chandrama, the unknowable divinity who pervades the three worlds and beyond. These are the instructions for the full correct pronunciation of the letters of the Ganesh mantras of that supreme soul, literally that which is uninterrupted. Anaswar, mm, the sound of an atom comes last. The half moon, the Chandra Bindu, plays with the Tara Om, which it checks or restrains. So if you had Oh, it would be unlimited, infinite. But now if you have an Anaswar, the sound of an atom, the Bindu on top of the Chandra Bindu, It checks it, it restrains it, it gives it form, it gives it an end, it has an ahuma sound. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It has creation, preservation, transformation. It has swisti sti loy. And this is the intrinsic nature of the manifestations of mind. In the beginning is the letter ga. In the middle is the letter o. Anuswar is the form at the end. Gum. Bindu is the form above. The subtle sound is joined together according to the rules of the union of letters in literature. This is how we make a Sunday, a, a union, a joining together, a coming together. Uh, we make a peace treaty, it's called a Sunday, a union. We make the Sunday in Sanskrit to join words together, to join letters together. This is the subtle sound. And this is the knowledge of the mantra of Ganesh. Ganak is the Rishi. Rishi Gayatri is the rhythm. 
Ganapati is the Devata Hongam, Ganapataye Namaha. I bow to Ganapati, the Pati of all the Gana, the Lord of all the multitudes, the Lord of all wisdom. We know he with one tooth. Meditate upon he with the bent tusk. May he of the special tooth grant us increase. He has one tooth and four hands. He holds a net, a goad, an elephant's tusk, and the mudra which grants boons, bearing a banner upon which is the emblem of a mouse. Mushikabaha. Uh, so he's got a, a net, a goad, and an elephant's tusk. When, when his tusk was cut, he picked up that tusk, and he used that as his weapon. And the mudra which grants bones. His body is red. His, his belly is big. His ears are like great fans, and he has red. His clothing is red. His body is covered with red unguents, and he is worshipped with red flowers. He is the God who is gracious to devotees and the primary cause of perceivable existence. His presence was manifest before creation. He is beyond both Purush and Prakriti. So here now we're calling Ganesh the supreme divinity. Beyond Purush Prakriti, he is Ardhanarishwar. He is the union of Shiva and Shakti. He is the supreme divinity made manifest. And whoever continually meditates in this way is blessed. He becomes the yogi of all yogis. Om, I bow to the Lord of all vows. Every brut, every sankalpa, every, uh, every firm determination of what you propose to do and every decision of a definition of your goal and your path. I bow to the Lord of all vows, to the Lord of the multitudes, to the Lord who is foremost. I bow to the Lord with a big belly, with one tooth who removes all obstacles to the son of Shiva, to the Divine One who grants boons. Who studies the highest meaning conceives himself to be one with God? Whoever studies this conceives himself or herself or ourselves to be one with God. No obstacle can bind him. His loving intellect reflects the happiness of heaven. He removes the five great kinds of sin. Who contemplates this knowledge in the night is freed from sins committed in the day. Who contemplates this knowledge in the day is freed from sins committed in the night. Who contemplates this knowledge in the night and in the day is freed from all sins. When do you have time to do stupid things? If you're always contemplating this knowledge in the day and in the night, who, who has time to do, do dumb things? Who always contemplates this knowledge is freed from all obstacles? And he knows dharma, the way of truth and harmony, artha, the necessities or economics of life, kama, the purification of all desires, and moksha, liberation, otherwise known as self-realization. This highest meaning should not be given to one who is not a disciple. You're all disciples. Nor to one who is ignorant. <clears throat> I don't know how I got it, but... She, such giving is a sin from which extreme bad fortune arises. Don't throw your pearls before swine. You don't have to convince people who don't want to be convinced. This knowledge is for the edification of devotees who want to come closer to the understanding of the unity of the individual soul with the Supreme Soul. This is not to go out on the street and pass out incense and fundraise and go to the airports and, and give books and, and, uh, and try to convert people before I convert myself. Wherever desires are contemplated, immediately they will be fulfilled. How can you have other desires when you're contemplating the supreme divinity who is the creator, protector, and transformer of all existence? Ganapati will make him without fault. 
Kung dosta pina. You have no, no defects. All your faults will be expunged. He will become one with knowledge and vibrations. If he will recede at the fourth time of prayer, he will become full of knowledge. So Sri Vidya, the knowledge of the highest respect, usually interpreted as the worship of the Divine Mother, there are four sandhyas. We all have three sandhyas in every other dharma. In Vaishnava dharma, in Shaiva dharma, you worship morning, noon, and night. The union between the night and the morning, which is called dawn, is called the first sandhya. The union between the morning and the afternoon, which is called midday. Midday. <laughs> That's the sandhya. That's the second sandhya. The evening between the afternoon and the evening called dusk. That is the third sandhya. And now the fourth sandhya. The fourth sandhya is the meeting, the union between night and morning. That's midnight. So you've got fourth sandhya. If he will recite the fourth time of prayer, he will become full of knowledge. It says in the Devi Atharvashirsham, if you recite the fourth sandhya, you become full of vibrations. You get to control the vibrations. It's always nice to pray in the night and in the day. This is the word of Atharvan. This is the name of Shiva. Uh, Atharvan is he who manifests the artha, the definition, the meaning, the, the wealth. He will know only divine behavior, etc., and will never act contrarily. That's nice. He only knows good things. Divine behavior. And he doesn't act like an idiot. That leaves some of us out. Whoever offers sprouts of durva grass becomes elevated in the universe. Can you imagine such a lowly task as offering sprouts of durva grass? That's like a crab grass that grows wild, a weed, a grass that grows wild and you find it anywhere. If you could bend over and pick up the sprouts of the durva grass and offer that, you become elevated. Pretty simple to worship. Whoever offers flattened rice becomes a repository of fame and welfare, becomes filled with loving intellect. Whoever offers a thousand sweets mm, attains his desired objective. Whoever offers the worship with truth attains all. Attains all. Whoever offers to eight Brahmins for their acceptance becomes an offerer of the light of wisdom. At the time of the solar eclipse, on the banks of great rivers, if one recites, he becomes perfect in mantras. Great obstacles are removed, great faults are removed. He becomes a knower of all, he becomes a knower of all, and this is the wisdom. Thus ends the Upanishad. Om, may the Lord protect us. May the Lord grant us enjoyment of all actions. May we, may we be granted strength to work together. May our studies be thorough and faithful. May all disagreement cease. Om. Om Sam Saraswati Namaha. Namaste. Let's stop here for a moment and see if there are any questions. We have a question from Vish. Namaste, Vish. How does the story of Ganesh and his relationship to Parvati and Shiva relate to us as devotees? What do we learn from it and how can we use this knowledge to evolve? Ganesh was the greatest devotee of both Shiva and of all the devotees, Ganesh really surrendered 100%. He couldn't do anything without Shiva, and Shiva couldn't do anything without Ganesh. Without Ganesh's blessing, Shiva couldn't kill Tripurasur. 
So Ganesh had to be worshipped before Shiva could. Shiva had to worship his son in order to uh, slay the demons. Now, Ganesh is the Lord of Wisdom. And he's the Lord of all the multitudes, all, the multi all of Shiva's children. So Shiva and Ganesh is so intrinsically intertwined with Shiva and Parvati that there is a codependence or an interdependence so that none of them operates independently. They all are in such love with each other. There's such a harmony there. There's such a bhavana there. There's such great communication that they couldn't think to do anything apart. They're all intrinsically entwined within each other. Just like in the Lolita Trishakti Stotram, we find Shiva and Shakti revolve around each other mutually and reciprocally. And whoever understands this understands what is a center of energy. In the same way, the stories of Ganesh show that Shiva and Shakti and Ganesh, they are such a divine family that they work together in such close harmony that there is never an occasion, never an opportunity for the slightest disagreement. Well, I think this is probably the greatest lesson, lesson we can take from Ganesh's relationship to his parents. We have a question from Swarupananda. Namaste Swarupananda! What is the significance of Ganesh's big belly? Uh, they say he's got 72 million ladus in his stomach. <laughs> But actually, he's the container of all wisdom, so he's got all, he's digested all the wisdom of the universe. And that's why he's got Lumboda. We have a question from Kanta. Namaste, Kanta Nanda. Is Ganesh especially jolly and happy? Is that his inspiration and attitude within us? He is especially jolly and happy, and he's, he's always searching for knowledge. And he's full of love, and he's full of wisdom, and he, he's, he practices ahimsa. He doesn't hurt anybody. He destroys his enemies with love. He destroys his enemies with wisdom. Everybody else has got a sword and a, and a, and a, a trishul and a spear and a, and a shield and they go out and battle with the Asuras and Ganesh just gives them his love and they just surrender. Not so fat men are That's what that men are Okay, that, that, that's very good. That's good. And then you put me on a diet. Huh? First you say fat men are happy, and then you put me on a diet. Last year, Sanjay came from Delhi, and he brought me his little Ganesh that was so thin. And he said, that's your guru. And I, in three months, I've lost 10 pounds. And I'm getting more and more unhappy. We have a question from Kyle in Los Angeles. Namaste, Kyle. Namaste. Why does Ganesh get angry, and how can we avoid angering him? Ganesh is only angry when we are disrespectful and we don't pay attention. When we don't respect our actions, we proclaim, this is my goal, this is my, the definition of what I want to do, and then we don't pay attention? Aren't we hypocrites? Ganesh gets angry with our hypocrisy. We proclaim and we, we loudly we proclaim, this is what I want to do. And then we find the only obstacles in my path are the ones that I'm putting there. And then uh, we get frustrated because there's so many obstacles in our path. That makes Ganesh angry. Uh, he, he, he said... It's not real anger. I mean, he's not going to come and destroy us. He's going to come and destroy the obstacles. He'll remove the obstacles when you stop contemplating the obstacles and start contemplating Ganesh. If you keep thinking about the negative, then you re reinforce and reinforce the negative attitudes. But when you start thinking about the positive, then immediately Ganesh will come and take away all the obstacles and clear the path and make a very nice way forward. 
So that's what makes Ganesh angry, and that's what remo removes his anger. When we do Ganesh Puja, it's not just about putting flowers at the altar, it's not just about reciting the mantras, but it's walking the walk and talking the talk and living the life of a devotee. Get rid of the ego and get rid of the attachments and surrender to your Ganesh. And he'll remove all the obstacles and he'll find a way. Fat men are happy. We have a question from Sadhana Shakti. Namaste, Sadhana. Pranam. Out of all the gods and goddesses, Ganesh seems to be the one who loves and is offered sweets the most. Is this significant in any way? Yes. <laughs> I used to be called the Ladu Sadhu. Ah, so that was the, the way to a man's heart is through the belly. The way to Ganesh's heart is through the sweets and the offering of sweets. But also, you know, it's, it's true that Krishna likes sweets too. Uh, so it's not only Ganesh. Uh, there are quite a few diabetics running around the, the heavens, uh, especially in Hinduism. Uh, they, they all like the sweets. In the Ganesha Tarvashirsham, it names a few specific circumstances that enhance the recitation. Like yes. An eclipse at a river. Well, in what way do these enhance the chanting of the mantras or the understanding of the text? Well, whenever you perform a, a, this kind of puja or this recitation of this text, uh, you're going to derive great benefit. However, if there's an eclipse, or if you're sitting on the bank of the river, or if you're in certain circumstances as enumerated in the text, it gives you even greater and amplifies the circumstances even more. Because you have the intention, you have the understanding, you have the definition, you want to recite these mantras in those places, you go to those places at those specific times for the purpose of conducting this recitation, then it, it has even greater effect. It's different from casually getting up in the morning and sit, rolling over in bed and saying, okay, now I'm going to recite the Ganesha Tharvashirsha. There are also a few special offerings named like durva grass and flattened rice. Yes. Are there any particular meanings or symbolism to those offerings? Well, of course, the, the, the durva grass is, it just comes out of the nature most naturally. It's the most uh, uh, omnipresent of all the plants. You can find durva grass in every place you go. Wherever there's vegetation, there's some kind of a grass that comes out wild grass, they call it. Uh, and the flat rice, of course, is a, uh, the, the, uh, the, the rice stands for the nutrients, the nourishment, the, the, uh, um, what, what comes, uh, the offering of nature to the sustenance of the body. Okay. So, what flat rice? Flat rice means chipitong. Oh. Amar <laughs> Ah, yeah. So the uh, chipitak is uh, uh, the Sanskrit name for flat rice. Uh, we, uh, what do you call it in um, in Bangla? Uh, chira. Chira. Huh? Chira. Uh, we call it chira. And uh, in uh, in Hindi too, it's chira. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, the chira is a form of uh, nourishment and, and nutrients. Uh, that, that comes to, to, for the sustenance of the body, it gives you energy to worship. You should offer every day. You do, I do. I you put in my diva. I know you. Oh, I offer you. <laughs> you offer me every day. <laughs> yeah. I will mix the ch ch chipitak with the uh, muri and, and a little dal mat yeah. every day. Okay, I'm doing right. <laughs> You've been doing right for her since I met you. <laughs> We have a question from Vivekananda. Namaste, Vivek. Does reciting Ganesha Tharvashirsham during eclipse need to be solar or lunar? Or either? Uh, Can no, it be partial or total? Does a whole mala need to be recited? Thank you. No, 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 no. Uh, it, it's it whenever, wherever, all the time, all of the above. It's not A and C only. It's you, it, This is a way of life, Vivek. We're not looking for the, it's got to be a solar eclipse or a lunar eclipse. It's, it's, it's an eclipse of all the lunatics. Uh, your lunacy has been eclipsed. 
uh, the, 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 it's whatever kind of eclipse comes, if you remember to, uh, to recite the Ganesha Tharvashirsham, you get the benefits of the, 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 the mantras. Every time you get the opportunity, in every circumstance, there's never an improper, improper or inappropriate circumstance in which to offer the recitation of Ganesha Tharvashirsham. The highest meaning of Ganesh. We have a question from Ambika. Namaste Ambika. In the past, you have mentioned that saying Ganesh's mantra, we should say Ganesh's mantra every time we walk through a door. Does this only remove obstacles from the physical world, or does it also help to remove our internal obstacles? Oh, it certainly changes my mind. As soon as I walk through the door and bow to Ganesh, I know that I'm going into that room or into that or out of that room for a special purpose. I'm not going to represent me, I'm going to represent Ganesh. Now, how do I want to represent Ganesh? Do I want to represent Ganesh with a big ego and a big belly and full of my desires and I want to be right, I'm going to prove myself right or I'm going to do it my way? Or do I want to represent Ganesh by saying, you are the Lord of wisdom, I surrender to you. I want to manifest wisdom in these circumstances. Now, it, that's a change of mind, Ambika. We have a question from Srini. Namaste, Srini Baba. Are the Ganas different from the Buddha and Pret who follow Lord Shiva? Yes, they are. Because the Buddhas and Prets are us. You know, the ghosts and goblins and other unsavory characters. But the Gana are the multitudes, which include all and everything and everybody. So they're all, everybody is a Gana of sheep. It's all part of the sheep gun. They're all manifestations of the multitude of nefarious characters that came out of Shiva. However, the boots and freights are those specific individuals who act like ghosts and goblins, and they do all kinds of weird things manifest in the, on the earthly plane. So there's the, the boot prate is a limited set, and the gana is the, the, the macro as a, compared with the micro. We have another question from Vish. Namaste, Vish. When we perform Buddha Shuddhi, why don't we invoke Ganesh since he lives at Muladhara Chakra? Can we use Ganesh to improve Buddha Shuddhi? No. Recite the Vedas as they're written. You don't have to change it. Please don't think it necessary for you to improvise and change the Vedas from the Sanskrit that's been recited from thousands of years and passed down so carefully from guru to disciple. Now you're going to come to Napa in the 21st century and, and Vish is going to rewrite the puja and reorganize and reorder the number of uh, chakras and the month of each chakra and which deity is worshipped in each chakra. Please, just use each vidi as it's written. Now you can combine different vidis and put them together and combine Shiva beginner's puja with Durga beginner's puja and add Ganesha's meditation to them both. But you don't have to change within the vidi gung lung, wong rung lung, wong shung thung. I mean, it's not necessary. Who, with what authority are you going to change? Are you proposing to change the Vedi as it's written? This was written by Rishis thousands of years ago. It was passed down from father to son, from guru to disciple, memorized intact, written down, preserved, and passed down with the greatest of, of respect so that we could preserve a specific tradition. There is no necessity whatsoever for you to change the VD as it's written. We have another question from Sadhana Shakti. Namaste, Sadhana. Pranam. Can you talk about the difference between increase of worshipping Ganesh and the wealth of worshipping Mother Lakshmi? They go together. Lakshmi, Ganesh, Gauri, Mahesh, they all go together. It's a tradition. Whatever you, whatever's appropriate for your time, place, and circumstance. If you go to a Lakshmi temple, uh, you want to add more Lakshmi. If you go to a Ganesh temple, you want to add more Ganesh. If you go to a Devi Mandir, you want to do as much as you can for each of them that you, is possible. 
So you keep expanding the length of your recitation, the, the number of mantras, and that expands your asan, and that expands your pranayama, and that expands the, the depth of absorption, the intensity of the reality, the bhavana with which you're worshiping. You just keep going deeper and deeper for longer and longer until it becomes your soul reality. That's the objective of sadhana. I mean, it just we just forget all the delusion outside and all my silly attachments and all this ego which keeps me as a separate entity, divided and separate from you. It makes me just one with the universe and one with Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva and one with all the gods and one with all the goddesses. That's called successful worship. And to that end, for that objective, for that purpose, we are expanding our knowledge, our understanding, our bhavana, our feeling, our the intensity of depth, of uh, the depth of intensity with which we are worshiping, so that we enter into this attitude where there is no duality, and then it's called going beyond. We have another question from Vivekananda. Namaste, Vivek. Namaste. Does reciting in a frightening place like a haunted building, building or a graveyard give better results? I ask because tantric sadhana in literature puts emphasis on sadhana in these places. Is there a risk to reciting in these places? There is a risk to reciting in those places, but it can be done. It is part of the sadhana. And uh, in that regard, I have performed uh, many years of sadhana and cremation grounds, uh, which were considered haunted places. And actually, I was the only booth prate I ever encountered there. <laughs> but, well, there may have been some others, but I was probably the, pr the principal, the primary, amongst the ghosts and goblins in the cremation grounds. And the reason we do this is to overcome our fears and overcome our limitations, overcome our hesitations, and in that way, overcome our ego. Now, if we do it as an appendage to the ego and say, well, look at me, I meditated and chanted in the cremation ground, you've just defeated your purpose. But if you go into the cremation ground and become just like the body that you're burning. Become one with the fire. And one with the frightening circumstances. It's frightening to someone else who does not know what to expect. They're only afraid of the unknown. So they become, they, they become fearful. Oh my God, that's the cremation grounds. That's where Kali lives and all the booths and freights. And when you go there and live there and see that man after man is coming with empty hands and he's going with empty hands and he's lifting up his body and lifting up his vision towards heaven and he escapes from the, the bondage of the confinement of this individual body. He realizes, we realize that this body was a conveyance of the soul. And I'm not my body. There's a phenomena called smashanvairagya. And we call it the, the sense of the spirit of detachment, which comes from sitting, staying, praying, being in the cremation ground. Because you develop such a sense of non-attachment to everything to objects, to relationships, to money, to possessions, to acquisition, to mergers, to everything else. You're just not into it. Because of the circumstance, you see the bhavana, the feeling, the attitude, the, the reality of everyone leaving all of it behind. And more and more as you stay there and cultivate that kind of sadhana, it is possible that you cultivate that attitude while you have your body and don't have to wait until you leave your body. Now, I want to give every one of my family A's an express prescription that says, 
don't do it without preparation. Don't think that you can just go sit in the cremation ground and give up all your attachments. Uh, that is not wise. There is a time and there is a system, there is a method in order to do all of these advanced tantric sadhanas. And I don't recommend anyone just say, well, I'm going to do that because Swami talked about it in a class night, one night. I think it's more important that you prepare yourselves step by step how I can be ready to do those sadhanas if they are appropriate in my life. Generally, if you're going to school, going to work, having a job, having a wife, having a family, supporting a household, taking care of your parents, taking care of your children, taking care of the, making a contribution to the world, this is not the appropriate sadhana to be contemplated. You wouldn't want to say, I want to be a success in life and I want to go to live in the cremation grounds at the same time. Not appropriate. You have to have earned the privilege of doing that kind of a sadhana before you go to the cremation grounds or before you go to any kind of a fearful situation and then say, I want to practice that kind of sadhana. We have a question from Chandana that's related. Namaste, Chandana. In this practice, to keep the bhava, do you eat and sleep there as well? In the cremation room? I did. There were a few others who did. And uh, when you were in the cremation grounds, there's a, a whole subculture. Uh, just as you hang around with, with uh, uh, bums underneath the bridge, uh, they all get together and they eat together and they sleep together and they tell their stories together and they do their sadhana together. Uh, in the same way, if you go to the cremation grounds and you move into the cremation grounds, uh, I don't think it's appropriate for women to do alone. Uh, in, not in India. And I don't know any crematoriums that allow people in the United States to eat and sleep there. So I don't think it's an appropriate question <laughs> That needs much discussion. First you cross your first step. Yes, thank you, Mother. First you cross your first step. And then we'll talk about these advanced practices. I mean, it's nice to know that they exist, put it in a cultural context. It's nice to understand that these are some practices that can be performed. But when you're looking to get a a better job and you're getting them more efficient and becoming self-sufficient than to be contemplating going to the cremation grounds as a woman alone uh, is pretty foolish. We have a question from Swarupananda. Namaste Swarup. Can you elaborate on the meanings of the thing Ganesh, things Ganesh holds in his hands such as the net and the goad? Yes, the net unites and the goad prods. So the net is the net of unity, it binds all together. It invites everyone to come into the sphere of influence, influence, the circle of influence of Ganesh, the Lord of Wisdom. And the goad prods us along and says, okay, keep on the path, keep on the path, keep focused. You don't have to go there, you don't have to go there. Stop dreaming about going to the cremation grounds. You have to go to Washington, D.C. and get a better job and get more money and pay off your loans. It's not time for you to go to the cremation grounds and say, okay, I'm going to give it all up. That's what the goad does. It just keeps us focused on the path. Okay, push us along, prod us along, and keep us on the path so we're focused and we're going directly towards our objective, at least towards our stated goals. Who is Ganak Rishi? G who is he? Uh, I can't not tell you. I come from the tradition of Shiva Shakti worship. Ganesh is a peripheral deity to me. I am not an authority on every subject of every part of Hinduism. And I, there is no one who can be. I'm sorry, I don't know Ganak Rishi. Ganak? Yes. Ah. We have a question from Vish. Yes, please. Why is Ganesh covered in red 
What is the significance of this, and how can we use this knowledge to evolve? Ganesha, the red Sindhu Ramaruna Vatsam. Sindhu is the color, the red is the color of love. Japakusum Masanibam, he is the charioteer of the light of wisdom. So Ganesh is covered with this love, he's ahimsha, he's the embodiment of love for all, of harmlessness to all, he refuses, he refuses to be drawn into violent conflict, he is full of love and full of compassion. And that's what it means. He's also quite passionate, but he's only got one tooth, so he's not passionate for selfish desire. We have a question from Sadhana Shakti. Sadhana, yes? If yeah. different gods and goddesses are holding the same articles, do they have the same meaning? Generally, yes. Generally, the same instrument in other people's hands has the same meaning. For example, the conch shell of continuous vibrations. When you hold the conch shell to your ear, you, you can hear the ocean. And you can hear the infinity of all vibrations, the entire universe of all vibrations. And when you blow on that conch shell, it emits that sound which puts all the vibrations into a harmony. Now, whether it's, it's a conch shell in Durga's hand, the conch shell in Vishnu's hand, the conch shell in Krishna's hand, the conch shell uh, in uh, anybody else's hand, it still means the same, the continuous flow of all vibrations. The same with the bell of continuous tone, the bow of determination. When you make a sankalpa, you take aim with your bow. You use the arrow of one-pointed attention and focus on your sankalpa, and you use the bow of determination and the arrow of attentiveness, and you hit the mark every time you let your arrow fly, whether that bow is held in the hands of or the hands of Shiva, or the hands of Vishnu, or the hands of Ram. It's all the same. It has the same meaning. And with all of the other implements of war, generally speaking, there may be a few nuanced interpretations which vary slightly from one deity to another. But generally speaking, if you have an Akshar Mala and you have the alphabet, the Mala, the garland of all the letters of the alphabet, and you're doing Jap, now that's the same Akshar Mala which is held in the hands of Durga, the hands of Brahma, the hands of Saraswati, it means the same in our lives, in their lives, in the life of all that lives. Often when we're studying things, especially school or other worldly work-related subjects, our mind becomes filled with those thoughts even when we're doing sadhana. How can we separate those thoughts so we don't have them when we're doing spiritual practice? Uh, only prayer. There's only prayer. Mom, please take away all of these thoughts. I don't want these thoughts. They have their time. They have their place. I am focusing. Please take away the energy from those worldly thoughts and worldly applications and give me divine eyes. Give me divine perception. Let me think of the meanings of the mantras. Illuminate the meanings of mantras. Illuminate, illuminate. Only love. Only love. All you need is love. <laughs> you mentioned a little about the symbolism of Ganesh having one bent tooth, meaning he has passion for others but not himself. Can you elaborate a little more on that? Yes, when everyone, when anyone, all of us, have any selfish interest, we bite into it with both teeth. We really put teeth into the argument. And when Ganesh has only one tooth, he's taken his part of the uh, equation and, and he only uses it for us. He uses it for others. So it means he's passionate, but he has no selfishness in his passion. His passion is only to serve others. His passion is only to remove our obstacles. He has no difficulties of his own. He has no obstacle. So all he wants to do is use all of the energy and all the tools and all the capacity at his disposal in order to, to, for the upliftment of other devotees. 
Now, how many of us can say that? We've got rows and rows of teeth. And we use all those teeth to bite off the biggest piece we can and digest it for ourselves. So that's the meaning of his one tooth. He lost all of his selfishness. Ganesh is also often seen in kind of like a dancing posture, kind of like Nataraj. Yes. Is he also related with dance? Yes, he is. Yeah, and uh, he, he is related to Nataraj, and he's related. <laughs> so he also dances, and he dances on one foot with a big belly and an elephant's head, and he's got these little skinny legs and a big fat belly. He's really quite cute, <laughs> quite beautiful, very charming. We have a question from Srini. Namaste, Srini Baba. Swami, you have spoken about budgeting our mind as a part of uh, Niyam. Can you help us understand this better? Yes. Niyam means discipline. And budgeting our mind means I'm going to focus my mind in this discipline for this amount of time. For this period of time, I'm going to be here now. Now that's a budget of mind. Budget your time, budget your resources, budget your energy, budget your asan, budget your mind. When I am here, I want to be fully here. I want to be totally engaged in what I'm doing, when I'm doing it. If I'm in worship, I want my mind to be in the mind, in the worship budget. I, when I'm in my office, I want my mind to be in my office budget. I want to pay attention to what I'm doing. Goodness knows if you don't pay attention, you might make the wrong a mistake. And you put the wrong th thing on the wrong paper and then you got to go back and redo it again and print it again, sign the papers again, do the whole thing over again. But at least you can check your work. Make sure you try to eliminate as many mistakes as you possibly can. So budgeting mind means being here, all here, all the way, all that is right now. And that means paying attention to what you're doing when you're doing it. Yes, please. Is this one of the reasons goals are so important? Can the mind ever focus and be budgeted if it doesn't have a clear idea of how to get to its goal? Absolutely. The goal is the criteria by which we define where it is we're going and what what applies to me and what doesn't apply to me, what's a tangent and what's going to take me where I want to go and what's going to just waste my time and waste my mind and waste my money and waste my energy and waste my... What's just a waste and what is appropriate and what is not appropriate if you don't have a goal and you don't can't you don't have a path if you don't have a path how do I know if I'm on the path or not <laughs> I'm always on the path I'll just go wherever the wind blows that's not sufficient for sadhus it's not called efficient to go wherever the wind blows what is a, a wanderer is different from a traveler. Sadhus are travelers. And they have a destination and they have a goal and they have an objective and they have a purpose and they know why they're going to where they're going and when they're going to where they're going and how they propose to get there and what they're going to do when they get there. It's different from wandering from place to place. Because when you wander, you're always in the wrong place. And when you travel, you're always there, where you want to be. We have a question from a different Kyle, Kyle from Edmonds. Namaste, Kyle. What makes a deity easier, easier or harder to please? Is there a puja that's other, you know, of course the beginner Shiva puja. Is there a puja more suitable for beginners? What makes Shiva different from a deity that would, you would say is for advanced worshippers? Kyle, the best place to start we already defined as Shiva puja. Because Shiva's mantra is na ma Shivaya, The five-lettered mantra. And that is the root 
of all the Shiva worship is the Panchakshar uh, Mantra. So that's the best place to start. It's the nicest place to start. It gives you the understanding of where you want to go, how you want to go. Uh, and he will give you the empowerment. He will take away all of the confusion and get you centered and started on the path. Where you buy, whereby you get to add Ganesh and Durga, and then we'll move towards, a, a, from the beginner pujas into the intermediate pujas. And then we'll move from the intermediate pujas into the advanced pujas. And in this way, we move through the, the various forms of puja. So you start with Shiva. It's the easiest. It's the place to begin in our tradition. We have a question from Bill. Namaste, Bill. What is the esoteric significance of Ganesh, the Lord of Wisdom, being the son of Shiva, the consciousness of infinite goodness? Oh, well, we all need wisdom. We all, you can't enter the, you can't enter the door of God without wisdom. So, uh, the, the, when, what we need the, the first is to bow down to the God of wisdom, and then we enter into the door. So Ganesh, he, he, he opens the door for us. He's the doorman. He's the doorkeeper. And in this way, uh, we bow down to Ganesh and we enter into Shiva's grace. Now, remember the first mantra of every puja that we do. Every time we sit down, Sriman Mahaganadipataye Namaha. I bow down to Ganesh. So in this way, you want to keep, uh, it, it, the best that you can possibly do is to keep bowing to Ganesh and getting that wisdom. When you humble yourself, when you open yourself up to learning, when you open yourself up to, 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 to reason, to, to, uh, to, to new learning, to new knowledge, to the applications of knowledge, in that way, you get to open up yourself to Shiva's grace. We have a question from Julia. Namaste, Julia. What about when we have clear goals and work steadily and carefully for them, but still circumstances are present and arrive that do not allow us to reach our goals? Reaching the goal is not really the, the objective. That's not the purpose. Pointing towards the goal is the purpose. Having a goal and having a path and having a, 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 an intended destination, that's what we want to do. It's, it's not about getting there. It's about the trip. It's about traveling. It's not the getting arriving at the destination. That's not really the goal. The goal is, that's the place mark where we're aiming for. I used to go to so many places of pilgrimage and I found out very, very quickly that it wasn't important to reach the place of pilgrimage, it was important to make the pilgrimage. So in route to the places of pilgrimage, to the goals, to the destinations, the intended destinations, I met so many beautiful sadhus and so many beautiful people and they all added another piece of inspiration and another piece of knowledge and another piece to the puzzle that was going to become the puzzle of Swamiji. So it wasn't about getting there. It was about making the journey to somewhere. And as soon as I met people and said, I'm en route and pilgrimage to that place of pilgrimage, they said, oh, how wonderful, it's a beautiful place to go. Hey, what will you do when you get there? And I said, well, I'm going to recite this mantra and that mantra and do this scripture and do this awan and do this yajna and do this jap and do this Wow, why don't you come here and stay for a couple of days, rest for a while, let us feed you, let us nourish you, let us empower you and help you so you can go more efficiently and more effectively. I had a blast. It was more fun making the journey than it was going into the temple and having so many people come around and disturb me.
So it's important in every goal that we choose to realize it's not about really achieving the goal. Because after you achieve the goal, there will be another goal. But it's about knowing where you're going and what you want to do when you get there. And what you're doing with your life and having a sense of purpose, having a sense of meaning, having a definition of what you're, what you're about. Julia, we have to say, what does is, what is my life stand for? And that's why we want to have a goal. Not that you have to get the goal, but you have to know where, to, where you want to go. When mother comes to you and says to you, I'm pleased with you, what do you want? You don't want to say, well, let me think about it. You want to say, Mom, I know where I'm going and I know what I want and I, I want you to give it to me. Om Sam Sarsvati Namaste.